Keep your hands and head inside the vehicle at all times. Buckle your seatbelts, check your mirrors, sit on back and relax. It's lights out and away we go for the Tall and Short of It podcast. I literally did not realize how tight I was until I just sat down here. I'm like, holy shit, I cannot get comfortable. Ah, all good. That's the key, Captain. My muscles are always tight. There you go. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Tall and Short of a Podcast, coming to you live on location from your current side quest. I'm your host, Justin. And I'm Aaron. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the podcast. We've got um, a good bit to talk about today. Uh, We've got some Formula One off-season notes, a race review, a classic race review. Um, We've got little bit of league of legends roster moves some magic the the gathering holy cow stuttering today uh but justin it's always good to see you how you doing man yeah good to see you too honestly it feels like uh kind of kind of just a blink of an eye since i last saw you time moves pretty quick here in the warp uh but yeah good to see you sir uh excited for another episode um actually kind of an interesting uh classic race review that we chose here for this week going back to 1993 europe um so i'll be excited to get into that but um yeah before we kind of get into the meat episode aaron tell me about your week give me your rose thorn and seed tell me how you've been sir sounds good um i've been doing doing pretty well it's uh I feel like I've gotten caught up on a lot of things I needed to at work, so I'm like more comfortable with how how things are. Um, life's good, Senna's good, um, Colleen's good. Today is uh, this is gonna sound super probably cheesy, um, but at some point Colleen and I were watching 500 Days of Summer, and we figured out or well she figured out and put it in our calendar of when uh we would have been dating for 500 for 500 days and that happens to be today uh and we call it 500 days of goob because we're both a couple of goobers and that's kind (laughs) of our cheesy joke back and forth so uh yeah life is just generally pretty good um isn't 500 days of summer isn't it only 500 days because it ends and it's and it's, it and he's sad it does so this is the end yeah. of the this is the end of the line uh, damn tomorrow we'll go our separate ways damn end <laughs> of an era who gets the apartment because that thing is sweet uh whoever gets the apartment does not get the dog so that's the the trade-off oh all right fair enough fair enough no. well you know at least it's uh you know amicable that's cool yeah um but no so uh so life is good but um my rose for this week it was just a pleasant surprise kind of i was at work and um something came up with appliances and i ended up having to call the company we order appliances from which happened to be one of the ones that i used to do that all the time for my last company um and got to or the person who helped me is someone who I had worked with quite often there at the the company and everything. And she remembered me, was like, oh my gosh, like happy holidays. I hope you're doing well and everything. Um, After confirming that I was the same person who she had previously worked with. 
Um, and so it was just kind of cool that she remembered me. I remembered her too. I was like, I was like, oh, it was nice to hear uh, like a friendly voice and like someone who I used to work pretty frequently with exclusively over the phone. So it was mm-hmm. uh, just a neat coincidence. Um, oh, wow. That is pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, of all the people that I could have like, could have picked up the phone or whatever, it was just nice to like have someone I knew and also knew that they did like well at their job. So they were going to help me out with no problem. Um, mm-hmm. So solid, uh, solid little surprise today at work. Um, my thorn for this week is just that it's getting a lot colder. So all the taking the puppy outside uh, at night and everything, having to throw on a jacket and all is uh, not the the most fun, but um, I'm just less looking forward to having to deal with inclement weather, um, snow and sleet and freezing rain are not fun to drive through or work around. So, um, yeah, I'm just not not super thrilled, but that's that time of year. Um, yeah, it does. Uh, it does make that element a bit of a chore where like, you know, when it's warm out, you can just walk out whatever you have on just you just got to slap the shoes on. Uh, but yeah, it is more of a process. You got to put some more layers on you got to grab the gloves, put the hand warmers on get the earmuffs, you know? Oh, yeah, it's uh, definitely just like an extra uh, like task to having mm-hmm. to go out in general so for sure it's uh and it slows you down and when you have a little puppy who needs to go out when they need to go out that's uh you got to kind of speed run it it's like mm-hmm. a um a fireman where they have their overalls and boots and everything just ready to go i constantly oh, have go. have like shoes by the door my one of my beanies right there so just like run grab them throw them on and uh and get going there you um, go. So, uh, so keeping it safe for everybody. Yeah, trying to keep myself warm too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's just kind of my thorn. Nothing too crazy. And my seed for this week um, is that uh, as the holidays are coming, I'm getting pretty close to being completed with my Christmas shopping. I'm usually a uh, pretty big procrastinator, and some people would probably say. Aaron, Christmas is in 11 days. You are a procrastinator, but it's more time than I had usually previously been uh, finishing my shopping at. So I'm excited for giving those gifts um, and that I'm like pretty much done ahead of schedule for myself at least. So Yeah, so then an added, um, added headache on that you know, on the week of or the days leading up to is not, oh, well, now I got to get down to Boscov's or whatever to get a, you know, to get a pair of shorts for somebody. Yeah. And I'm uh, like, I've always been so bad that I would just um, like wrap everything on Christmas Eve. So I would stay up till I don't know, like one, two in the morning sometimes just like wrapping presents. Uh, once I was like high schoolish age, at least, and mm-hmm. just like being up way later than I needed to be, just because I didn't do it ahead of time. So I'm like, just glad that I'll have that kind of crossed off my list. So yeah, so you were Santa Claus, man, up in up until the wee hours, getting those <laughs> presents ready. Basically, yeah, sneaking wow. into the living room while my parents were asleep to like put the 
put the uh, presents under. So I kind of reverse Santa'd it. Wow. Yeah. Maybe we're all Santa Claus. Hmm. Was this a Hallmark movie? Ah, could be. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's my rose thorn and seed for this week. Um, but how's your week been? What's been going on? Uh, it's been going pretty good. Uh, kind of light, light week this week, but, uh, I'll give you my rose thorn and seed here. Um, so pretty interesting seed, uh, friend, friend reached out to put, uh, like a board game day together. I guess he got a new, a new one for his birthday. And so he's excited to try it out. It sounds like it's basically like a MOBA in board game form um so i think that's why he asked me just you know for my years of playing league of legends um so i think we've got that slotted in for sometime in january so i'm actually really looking forward to it uh last time i heard from john was for um man i can't even remember it like it was it was a decent bit ago uh so yeah i think it'll just be fun to sit down play some games with everybody and uh learn something new so i'm kind of looking forward to that uh my thorn it, here go is ahead it like a 5v5 then if it's a, a moba or i think it's 3v3 in okay. some way i don't know what the map looks like it's guards of atlantis 2 is the title i i haven't looked anything up i don't know if i'm supposed to if i should um i was kind of thinking i was going to go in blind i didn't want to like metagame it at all like i feel like, like you'll figure it out if you go in blind yeah and and i don't really want to Worst yeah. case, you you like do a quick trial run game and then like hop into a, a full length game. I wouldn't right. Yeah, I wouldn't stress too much about figuring it out ahead of time. Right. Um. But yeah, Guards of Atlantis too. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many lanes it would be. But yeah, it's it's three players on each side, and we may even get like you know we may even have two champions each or something. I I, I don't know how it works, but I'm excited to check it out and give it a try um and then my thorn here for the week uh weird thing happened and i'm not sure i i feel like this is likely because of the because of the gift card gift certificate signs that we have up and offers uh what i was doing a massage yesterday uh i guess like a prospective client just like when to open the door even though i have signs up saying like massaging session please be quiet there's people in here don't come in here and he just like still just tried to come in and my immediate reaction was just like i just yelled i was like yo get out of here man and i then i could not find them they did not call there was no anything so i have a feeling that i just kind of like lost the client but at the same time i was like what are you doing dude so the thorn of it all is i've just got to lock that office door it wasn't ever something i thought about um but that happening like with a client on the table i was like that's probably not that good um so i'm just gonna start locking that office door when i'm in session yeah that sucks because like I would, there's like an entryway into the office and everything, like a, like a waiting area, right? Yeah. And then there's like signs up that say like massage in session, please do not disturb. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That doesn't sound like your fault at all. I feel like 
I think the like you and your client who you were working on like are the losers of the situation. That guy like just fucking barging in past that like that is it's it's like just disrespectful. Like mm-hmm. you see massage in progress and you're like, oh yeah, I would want someone bursting in on me if I was on that table. Like where is the thought process? Like wait no a few idea. minutes or if you don't have time to wait like shoot an email over like do something like come on mm-hmm. i don't know yeah we have like we have our card there so like you could reach out you could email so yeah it was just it was just weird and it just frustrated me that also i was i was clearly never gonna find out who it was or like what it was about because like there was there was nobody there then yeah. um so i was kind of just like well gosh darn uh, but yeah, I'm just going to lock that door from now on when I'm in that in session. So that doesn't happen. Cause yeah, that was, uh, it was an odd moment. I will say that as much, yeah. or I can, I can say I could, yeah, whatever. Uh, my rose here for the week is Sarah's laptop pieces all came in. So she's got nice. her headset. She's got her mouse. She's got her laptop. She's got the sweet ergonomic chair. Um, and boy, have we been putting the hours in. Uh, me and her have been just like flying through Outriders. I think nice. we're near the end. Um, we've come like to the temple where the where the storms have been coming from. And our people are all powered up. And it feels like we're like getting towards endgame. Um, but yeah, we have just been just slaughtering through this game dude and it's amazing to see her like kind of come out of her shell and really enjoy it and like it's it's cool to look over and be like damn like your setup is sweet you know she's got like really nice headphones the mouse is cool um so yeah now it's uh it's all come together and i think she's really enjoying it and that is uh you know happy happy partner happy life so yeah man it's going well that's awesome like I, I think that is a very cool thing. I don't think everyone is automatically super inclined to play video games, but if you can get into some like really solid ones, uh, some cool stories, cool graphics, whatever, um, it definitely can appeal. And Sarah's like played a little bit here and there uh, previously. So I think she kind of knew that she enjoyed it, but now mm-hmm. having like the full setup and doing it, uh, I'm sure is a, a blast. So yeah. And just like full access to like any, anything that she's curious, the setup that she has like can enable and like help her do that to yeah. where previously just like based on conversations, she's felt held back by this. Didn't understand that felt like, um, and not that this is any anybody's fault. Like there's uh, with some of the people that she was around, a sense of like gatekeeping because mm-hmm. like they didn't really know what was going on, so they couldn't really like show her. There were all these things that she thought was cool, but like had nobody else to get into it with, so it just kind of gotcha. like falls by the wayside. Or like really bad onboarding experiences from the game, where like if you're just a new player to video games, just full stop these games really don't help you. Like most of them are like advanced user games where Mm -hmm. you're just kind of like loading right in. It's all like the language of the game is all kind of, Oh yeah. Well, you know, I mean every, as games get better or like newer and newer and maybe not better. Um, just the amount of 
changing to everything like settings options and things like that that you might have to shift around for it to be more like uh i, I think of like keybinds and on mouse and keyboard or like if you're playing on a controller like setting things yep, up a certain that's way that's a big one like that's not easy to figure out like because you don't even know what keys you're ne- or what actions or whatever that you can make your character do you're going to need super frequently so like do you buy that to like you don't even know until you start playing then it's frustrating going through a list of like 800 different settings that you can like shift and change or and Mm -hmm. like and you're like what does all this mean like shouldn't you like shouldn't the game just play yeah that's outside of just like actually loading up into the game and being like okay like where do i need to go what do i need to do like league of legends has always had a brutal barrier to entry because the amount of champions individual abilities items uh especially prior to recommended builds and things like that that Mm -hmm. they've put into the game like it's so tough like the only reason people really get into league i feel like is because uh, now is because people kind of drag them into it like friends are like oh you'd really like this game i love Mm -hmm. playing this i play it all the time and then they're like i'll give it a shot and the friends always there, like reassuring them like oh no i promise it gets fun and in general it is always like just league of legends like crazy sometimes fun sometimes terrible (laughs) but but i think what you're getting at is like the onboarding experience for league is like actually kind of different than what the games actually look like and how they play out um but yeah just like just thinking back like over the last i think three weeks or whatever it's been you know the the games and or something about the games has been you know my rose or or my seed but it really has just been like that like just like a wildly different life experience than we've previously been able to have um so it's just like super exciting and new and really fun and we're like talking about outriders all the time and it's just like it's just super exciting um so that's why i just keep inundating you with this information um but yeah things have been going well that's my rose thorn and seed here for the week there sir very cool um well getting into this week's topics i had a couple general notes that i wanted to to briefly bring up um one because i just thought it was kind of cool and i feel like uh just taking a moment to talk about it and so uh just the other day there was a breakthrough for nuclear fusion at a uh, U.S. Department of Energy facility. And so basically fusion um, is when you force two atoms to like, you push them so hard together that they like squish together and become one thing. And it releases it because you're going from like two to one. The It releases a ton of energy because it like has to send like that whatever part of the atom elsewhere so it creates a huge amount of energy and it's all it's very difficult to do um it takes a lot of energy to create a fusion reaction where you make these atoms combine um but 
the this facility was able to um, create a fusion reaction that output uh, 150% of the energy that they put into it. So basically, if it can be done on a better scale and whatnot, um, they're able to do it very consistently, like all over their the country and whatnot you can power you can basically like squish atoms together and then create this massive amount of energy that is clean there's no like radiation there's no real downside no greenhouse gases all these things that uh could just kind of help out with the environment with the earth if we can find a way to to kind of harness this it would cut down on a ton of the bad uh stuff that we that we do to the planet so i just thought that was interesting because it's a not something that i think would uh, like i I think it's a very hard to imagine kind of sci-fi thing uh so i thought it was pretty cool well, yeah, and that where you're leaning more on more on the resources that are renewable, I guess, because um, as we move closer to depletion of you know fossil fuels or mm. things that we've previously been using to power, um, yeah, it's going to get tougher to to upkeep what we like the the status quo of living that we have so it's cool that we're exploring other options such as nuclear because like you're saying it does have uh, very promising benefits yeah and uh the fact that it could potentially be that option where you are creating just more energy than you're putting into it you're not taking anything from the planet it it could potentially just extend um, like you said, that status quo and allow us to just kind of not have a period where there's a gas crisis or an oil crisis or a like whatever. Um, so maybe maybe keep uh, keep us around a little longer to enjoy the things that we like to enjoy here um, mm-hmm. here on the planet. But uh, another brief. Uh, general note that I wanted to bring up because we had talked about it in relation to League of Legends and uh, and Formula One, but FTX's mm-hmm. uh, former, I guess, CEO or, or part owner, I don't even know what he was exactly, but Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested in the Bahamas and he will be um, being uh, extradited, I guess, most likely to the U.S. to face criminal charges in uh relation to the collapse of ftx so and that's uh that's kind of a fascinating thing i think yeah that's the i i am i am for that um uh result i guess you could say um yeah yeah, it does not seem like i mean because my man was speaking with everybody i don't think that was probably indicated from the lawyers to uh go and go and just lock himself into a story uh time and time again so yeah that's oh man what a 
what an unfortunate thing for so many lives. And even like even him just serving time is not going to is not going to make many of these people feel whole, um, which yeah. is just really unfortunate because the, the big the big fun or not funds, but the big accounts, I think they'll end up being OK, but it's it ends up being the smaller accounts that uh, lose the hardest. Yeah. And the amount of like I. I kind of followed crypto a little bit, but I don't know much about it. I mm. had tried briefly to like buy a couple of little things. And I was like, oh yeah, like, I don't know, maybe this will like just go crazy. And what I bought just never did. And I was like, okay, like, I don't really understand this crypto thing. I understand the concept behind it, but I don't see, I've never seen like a really, uh, like valid strong use case for cryptocurrency like why you have to use it over uh money so i mean seeing this happen and everything like it's it's just terrible because so many people like saw so much more in it than i did they like put huge investments into it that are now just Mm. gone Mm. and i'm like i'm glad that i that i did not but i'm like i just didn't understand it so i didn't trust it that much there are plenty of people Mm -hmm. that just were like yeah it everyone says it's gonna go up so i'm in big time unfortunate but yeah just happy that the i guess due process is uh taken taking its course i guess you would say yeah just uh to kind especially to even like figure out what happened and like hopefully it will be a um like something to look at for other folks who are in that kind of position. Like I think, I think his company like blew up faster than he would have expected. I mean, they were still using very base from what I was reading. They're still using very basic like um, tools and like computer programs for their bookkeeping and stuff was just like really inaccurate. It sounded like just like an amateur company that just, grew so much faster than they could keep up with and so maybe it will be a kind of warning of like hey if this kind of thing happens to you you gotta make sure you're keeping your books and and things in line because it could go real bad for for you and for everyone involved so Mm -hmm. um, yeah big uh big time agree on that yeah um but then uh getting over to some f1 off-season chatter uh so going back to kind of that topic of um, reducing greenhouse gases, carbon emissions and whatnot, uh, F1 is, um, they had put out a brief statement just saying uh, how they're now three years into the journey to be net zero for carbon emissions by 2030, at least in relation to the cars, the fuel, things like that. Um, they said it's fantastic to see the progress that's uh, been made already. The work that's going on behind the scenes uh, to bring this strategy to life is tireless, and we're confident that we're building strong foundations for the future of our sport. And so, uh, of course, with that as well, um, the the longer F1 goes on, I think the more and more they will be continuing to look for ways to, to kind of keep those emissions down and keep the sport thriving. Um, so it's it's impressive that they're, putting all this work into especially like the fuels that 
um, use a lot less or emit a lot less carbon emissions and things like that. Um, I mean, testing those with the different cars and like giving that to the teams to test with their engines and all is, uh, is a pretty huge step forward. So it's cool that, uh, F1 is continuing that progress going into 2023. Yeah. It, it seems that with so many, like there must be so many interests in so many company companies that wouldn't want to work with a formula one unless at this point they have their eyes on something like that mm. because i know there are a lot of um we'll just say like like improve the ecosystem initiatives that a lot of companies are involved in including and yeah, a lot of certain... car companies like right tons of car so companies. you would want to partner with a company that understands how much impact they could possibly have. And then, you know, are working to improve that over the years where, yeah, we understand that it, it used to be this, but we can still have like the same kind of racing without like polluting the atmosphere and whatever, and all the rubber and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, I just think it's great. And it makes the, I mean, it's like in the title, it just makes it sustainable. It makes it something that we can do long term. It makes it something that's like as good for the communities that it's involved with as possible, where, um, you know, there could be a lot of criticism for something like this and say, like, how much do we need this if oil crisis, uh, fossil fuel crisis, all of these things? So it's like, well... Uh, these like racing series would have to be the first things to go. Cause like people oh, got to yeah. get to work. Absolutely. And it's, uh, it's just a another like interesting part being that a lot of, we've talked about it before these car companies who are involved in F1, like the um, knowledge and like R and D and things like that, that they're putting into these cars also does somewhat get handed down to like more, mm -hmm. uh, commercial vehicles that are going mm -hmm. out there. So the improvements on batteries and the recharging of those, like they have in the F1 cars can help hybrid cars and things like that to be, uh, to have a lot better, um, of like an energy return on those things, battery improvements, all these things going into uh, the F1 cars can in some ways be like put into commercial vehicles. And so if they're making this progress and going towards that here, who's to say it won't uh, shortly thereafter kind of make its way down to, to the everyday person and benefit on that level as well. Yeah. And to be fair, I think that's the level that these car companies are working at, like from the R&D departments of the Formula One teams. I ultimately think that's how they get their new tech for, you know, for their road cars and for their market cars is uh, adapting it for uh, for consumer purposes. The stuff that, you know, makes their other cars go faster. Like it's it's funny to see old it, it's funny to see the older races where like they're still topping out like max speed. They are the fastest cars, but it's only, you know, 150 KPH or like 165 KPH or whatever it is. But it's like now we're, whoa, we're way past there, you yeah. know, and there's probably just road cars that could do what those F1 cars could do. 
Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a huge, huge like shift that I think these, yeah, it's kind of like F1 and like the other big racing series, Formula E and everything else do, uh, kind of affect the consumer market. Um, once those, those new technologies are created or developed mm-hmm. a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. so it's definitely uh, a good thing to see. Another thing for the upcoming years, the Dutch Grand Prix will continue uh, and be at Zandvoort until at least 2025. So a couple more years of that and um, uh, a couple more years of Max with the the sea of orange around him, whether he's with Red Bull, which I assume he, I think his contract's through 2025. But um, yeah, big sea of orange will, will continue to be there. Now, what are the other, and this may be putting you on the spot, but what, what are, if they, they would still have the Grand Prix there, well, it may not be at the Zambora track, but they still have track options for a Dutch Grand Prix, correct? Um, or is it just Zanvoort that they have? I think it's just been Zanvoort, but they've, yeah, so it's been Zanvoort, but they've uh, changed the circuit like track a couple of different times but it looks like it's always been a zandvoort or oh okay hmm, actually let's see here yeah if you know the answer call in yeah phones are dead right now yeah so it's been it's been zandvoort since it started but it's only the new track um has only been going since 2021 so for the last gotcha so, okay so if changes. they if they don't want zanvoort that means there's no dutch grand prix that's what you're saying yeah that's what it, okay uh, at least as far as i can tell so gotcha well because you know it that could be a different conversation with say like uh let's say like a like a british grand prix or whatever where okay if it's not at silverstone they can still have it at you know the other one yeah so there's there's options but um, at least for the Dutch Grand Prix, it, there is not. So, um, so that's through 2025. I think it's been a cool, um, cool track and cool, uh, atmosphere from what I've seen, um, watching during the race, lots of energy from the crowd, of course, with Max. Um, so cool to see that continue a little bit longer. Um, one of the other, uh, things that I thought was interesting. So, um, there is talk of reducing the, the length of DRS, um, mm-hmm. the DRS zones in the races going into 2023. Um, and I just wanted to kind of look at that a little, cause I, I don't know, I, I'd be curious to see how much they're looking to change it by, because it does, it I don't know if that's going to be something that's going to change a ton in the races. I do think there are some tracks that have some DRS zones that are a bit too long, but I think the majority of them, at least in my opinion, are a pretty reasonable length. There are definitely tracks that even with the DRS, it still is very hard to get past because of the length of the DRS zones and everything. So I think it would really, in my mind, it's only a shift that needs to be made at a couple of different tracks that have just some really massive like D 
DRS zone lengths, but mm-hmm. I was well. Like, I think the idea, yeah. based on based on what the what the article was saying, it sounds like they're trying to stop the the long or the longer distance like post overtake like they can probably see where most overtakes happen in that drs zone where like so it can only open if they're a second behind Mm -hmm. so they likely have data of you know where that car is at a second ahead where it opens that overtake slot what speed it is and i think what they want to avoid is because the the flap doesn't slam shut after the overtake it slams shut once they hit the brakes which is likely another maybe 200 to 150 meters past where they got the overtake done yeah. so now they're the they're still tearing down the straight after overtake with the rs open mm-hmm. and the person that got overtaken doesn't have the the drs so i think they just want to stop the like overshoot advantage right just like gapping someone once you're past them when you were yeah okay that that makes that was exactly the term that came up in the article okay i yeah i didn't read all the way through but um but it does uh that does make a bit more sense um another thing i would just find probably better if they're trying to create this like more competitive racing environment Mm. by doing that and all like the tracks that have a single DRS um, like sensor, but then you Mm -hmm. get double DRS zones, like two short ones triggered by that one like point where you might pass the person on the first DRS, but then you have it in the second one too, but they don't because they were ahead when they hit the mark. It's mm-hmm. like that's that's a, a weird one. Um I think maybe just adding another DRS like, oh, this is the tracker or whatever that says if you have it or not would stick a little bit or like just have that added in so that you have that competition to fight back a little bit as well. Yeah, no, I think that would be an interesting element. It it seems spurred from the overtaking possibilities likely being stronger than their data showed them it would be in the beginning of the season. Um, Because something you heard analysts saying over and over is just like, wow, we didn't expect how good you how good the racing was going to be this year with uh, the new new rules and regulations well, um, yeah, how close you can follow with like the cars right getting their downforce from the the floor of the car primarily like it's, right it's so different because that's why turbulent air like caused so many issues for for these cars and driving in it sucked so much was because you're getting like all your downforce from your wings from the body mm-hmm. of the car and since that shifted that's uh, a huge change and and like talking about metagame has like made the dr it, it appears that has made the drs zone like way too powerful actually with how strong they are at overtaking it just like it gives them us a, a 
a significant advantage where previously the DRS was just like, we probably didn't even notice that it was, it, it likely wasn't a problem on the old cars. It was just giving you that advantage that you had lost due to that turbulent air. It gave them actually a chance to catch up to these other cars right. where yeah. now it's like, Oh no, they can just kind of race each other it by itself. And then the DRS is just like kind of, um, like a like a like a speed strip kind of thing yeah a little bit uh i i can see how it would be looked at as a little overkill um i guess compared to uh how it was before the new regulations and also um, i mean you know the drs are like when they talk about shortening it it's going to be like 25 meters 35 meters 50 meters here like you we as fans likely will not notice a difference yeah, that's true. I, I, is is my impression. That's fair. I can't even. Uh, I, I can't say that without the signs and everything on the side of the track, I would recognize where the DRS zones were on every track from the TV like view mm-hmm. anyway. So, uh, so yeah, for the viewership, but for the drivers, it'll be interesting if they do to see if that does create more competition or if it mm-hmm. does cause more. I'd be curious if it if it would cause more DRS trains because there's less opportunity for the first guy in line to get past the the guy that's kind of leading that train. Um, mm-hmm. But DRS trains are already an issue, so I can't imagine it gets that much worse. Um, right. So hopefully that uh, somehow improves that uh, and everything, but. Um, the, the biggest, I think, off-season F1 story of this week was that officially Fred Vassar was signed to become, uh, Ferrari's team principal leaving Alfa Romeo. Um, so that is a big shift, him coming in to replace Mattia Bonato. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, cause I, I, don't think we had a huge opportunity to see his um, kind of strategy as well because the Alfa Romeo car seemed very hit or miss throughout the season. Um, Mm -hmm. So to see how he does as uh, the new team principal for Ferrari will be be pretty interesting. Well, and especially especially for an individual who doesn't have like a ton of success in formula one. It seems like his, it seems like his career has been with like back of the midfield teams and not really scoring too many like standout performances. Mm -hmm. Um, so for a team like Ferrari that's really going to be expecting results, I'm curious I'm curious why him because currently the record doesn't show this like it doesn't show this like really winning team principal um when you look back. However, g- experience is likely worth a whole lot and i can't i can't pretend to even know the 
you know, like the intangibles and relationships well, and whatever, but just looking at where he's been previously, it's an interesting choice for a Ferrari that feels like they are just demanding a win every single weekend and putting a lot of pressure on. Is this the guy that's going to be able to deliver that? Cause has he previously? So I think in some ways he has. And so okay. not in formula one, but he, um, so I, I kind of did some little bit of research on him and everything to find out where he came from looking at mm -hmm. F1 career, but he um, studied aeronautics engineering and then ended up creating his own uh, junior formula team ASM, which um, they started in 1996 working with Renault um, and they were very competitive in the Formula 3 series in GP3. Um, then he and uh, Nicholas Todd, who is Gene Tot's son. Um, Gene Tot was, I believe, one of the FIA directors. or He was high up in something with Formula 1. Um, but, uh, yeah, his son and uh, Fred Vassar formed ART um, who has had some extremely good uh, drivers for them so he's had um, well in 2005 he had won the GP2 series with ART um, with Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton as his uh, his drivers he um, also has had uh, Paul DeResta, Roman Grosjean, uh, a few other pretty famous drivers drive for the team. Um, and so, and then Nicholas Tott, his partner, um, has been the manager for a number of F1 drivers uh, Danny Kvyat, Felipe, Felipe Masser, Massa, Pastor Maldonado uh Charles Leclerc um a few others so he's got uh a good partner and both ASM and ART have been pretty competitive in their series even though he hasn't uh necessarily been on a team to show that same kind of performance as an F1 team principal hmm well that is um that's a different Different view than I got, so that's um, that's interesting. So you think the success from, so what, so do you think with the, here's a better question, so do you think with the resources that Ferrari would have access to, he may, he may have had limiting factors in the other teams? That's what I would – so the the thing that when I was like reading up on it and looking into it that I kind of felt like – it the, the only comparison that popped to my mind at first is like a, a typical sports coach, like a high school football coach for instance. High school football coach coaching, wins a couple of state championships with his team and then all of a sudden, oh, well, the local state – college is looking for a new offensive coordinator let's bring this guy who's had success at the high school level up and see how he does oh he does well at college too oh well now a bigger college is looking at him to to coach for them and then oh mm -hmm. maybe an nfl team is like oh this guy's 
had success at all these levels. And so him, I think, starting and having this progress in uh, Formula 3, GP3, F2, um, and all, and then coming up to uh, some teams that have had their their struggles, I guess, in terms of, of being highly competitive. Um, Sauber hasn't been, uh, with Alfa Romeo, Sauber hasn't been super competitive over the last few seasons. Renault has had shining moments here and there, but overall, like you said, kind of mid to the back of the midfield. Um, so I think maybe this is just him kind of working his way up the, uh, the rungs of the ladder and showing maybe, maybe some of those things that you don't necessarily see fully come out during a race or during a season that people are like, Oh, this guy, he's a, he's a good, good coach, good team principal. Let's give him a shot at our, our team. When the opportunity arises, let's, let's take Mm -hmm. a shot. So, so I, I don't, I'm not saying by any means that he will have instant success with Ferrari, but um, I think it'll be interesting because he's he's had different uh, opportunities and shown and proven that he's got it, and then he's had others where maybe it's a little less visible if he does or not. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just interested, obviously, to see to see how it goes. I think there was an immense pressure on um, Mattia Bonotto and likely just going to be any any individual who's in that slot. It seems like a pretty hot seat to be in. Um, But that's not to say I mean, that's likely the pressure that's in all of those positions. And this with him, as far as I understand, he's only the Tim team principal as opposed yep. to team principal and like head engineer, chief engineer or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, chief technical officer, I guess, uh, like Mattia Bonato was. So hopefully, um, that also allows a little bit more, uh, time and energy for him to, to focus on the things that Ferrari needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think what we find is I think a little bit of differentiation of roles is good, especially when each of those roles comes with like very large workloads and large fires to put out and tough decisions to make. When you have to wear multiple of those hats, I be- I believe your judgment begins to like diminish in quality, you know, mm-hmm. and then there's a sense in which, yeah, but you can't over differentiate because then people are left with, you know, only work to do 30% of the time or whatever. And then now you're like, now you're wasting resources. Right. But there's a sense in which like, yeah, kind of trim the fat, but also like not overburden your individuals. Um, so yeah, changing the hats that they'll have this individual wearing from the organization perspective is quite interesting and likely mm-hmm. maybe a more important piece of the puzzle than the actual individual that you have wearing the hat. Yeah, I what do you think, think about that, that? No, I, I definitely agree. I think that if um, if you have success as Ferrari this year, which I mean, in in my opinion, they should have a pretty successful year. Um, mm. They have two phenomenal drivers. They have a very yeah. fast race car. Um, so if they can have someone nail down and and yeah, like you said, if they're 
if they have more time to spend on and focus on one very big important thing that they're not splitting time between two very big very important things i think that a lot of success could be attributed to that change in leadership uh like roles um and kind of dividing and conquering a little bit mm-hmm. but also i'm i'm sure that some of that will be whether it's warranted or not attributed to the two individuals that come into those roles and split up that mm-hmm. um so i think if they're if they are successful then they will get more credit um then maybe they actually would earn um, just by doing their jobs well, but also right. if they do their jobs well because they're able to spend the right time, then that's uh, that's kind of what the team's looking for. So uh, you can't knock them for it either. No. And just thinking of the assessment of their drivers, like Ferrari has two race-winning drivers now. Previous to last year, you couldn't have said that about um, Carlos Sainz. Yeah. So I think that's like kind of a big thing where – not every not every driver lineup has two race winning drivers on it and that's like pretty lethal right now it seems like yeah it's important to know um especially on the constructors fight that you no matter what day either of your drivers has an opportunity to win obviously mm-hmm. there's going to be car situations and driver. with um yeah and and that's i think the one of the biggest components is obviously ferrari had a lot of struggles this past year because of their reliability issues. And Especially right there in the mid-chunk. If they can kind of nail that down and get that um, to be more consistent with the engines, get the mm-hmm. engine life to last a little longer so they're mm-hmm. not taking all these grid penalties constantly. Then and temps down, that's what it seems like. It was a lot of like overheating on the hot tracks, or it was I a think, lot of, I should just say, DNFs on hot tracks, I should yeah, say. Yeah, the overheating and like the uh, not not engine side, just like getting their cars to manage tires better because that was mm. also a brutal part of this last season for them was just not being able to make certain strategies work because they're they couldn't get the tire life that they needed to out of uh out of the tires with their aero package and everything mm-hmm. so um so there's there's definitely work to be done but even all that said they had a very very good year and so this could be um a shift that that really pushes them um up a little bit gives them a little boost going into 2023 that could be huge Mm -hmm. yeah i uh i definitely agree and you just want to see them kind of capitalize on what they were able to accomplish because like yeah even talking about some of these downsides they still they still were able to put it p2 in both of the championships um so i think they're like kind of right there to a certain to a certain Mm -hmm. degree um so yeah i think it's an interesting move it sounds like a pretty strong move to my uneducated brain but um yeah yeah i'm looking forward to see how it goes yeah i think overall like a good decision in terms of um team like just splitting up the responsibilities and everything i think that gives them automatically a better shot yeah Um, i agree and 
yeah, I think that um, Fred Vassar, I, I, he's had enough successes that I, I think he could be uh, a good answer to their their situation and everything. So mm-hmm. um, I'm excited to see how they do. I'm excited to see if the strategy improves and whatnot because um, that was a, a struggle. So there's a lot of things that I think he has the opportunity to change and improve and uh hopefully he'll be able to because that would be a very exciting fight between red bull mercedes and ferrari uh mm-hmm. if it is really constant throughout the season and no no team really is able to take a um huge front running kind of position so mm-hmm. yeah have a three dog race instead of you know a one dog race by the kind of the middle of it yeah, I think it's very possible. So I'm I'm excited to see. Um, and I uh, had one just other final kind of off-season note. And so um, I wanted to bring it up because I, I found it interesting. But Adrian Newey for Red Bull um, uh, in an interview said that they waited a very long time in 2021 to start developing the 2022 car. Uh, because of Max's fight in the championship with Lewis. Um, So they continued to develop the 2021 car for much longer than normal. Mm -hmm. So even with them starting later, kind of maybe being on the back foot initially in terms of their development, they were still able to just crush the uh, drivers and constructors championships this past season. Um so it does give me uh, a little bit of hope for them in terms of not falling too far back when it comes to um, looking at the development of the 2023 car with the reduced wind tunnel time from being constructors champion as well as the penalties that they're receiving um, and everything along with the budget cap. Um, or Well, I guess it wasn't a budget cap hit, but the fine that they mm-hmm. got. So, um, yeah, that reduction of wind tunnel time is, is pretty important, but with them still maintaining a competitive car, even kind of starting late last year, um, that shows that they may have the ability to, to rebound from that and still maintain their competitive, uh, kind of level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't doubt their competitive level in the slightest. Yeah, it's at all. I, I mean, it, it, everything obviously shifts year to year, so they, uh, could drop off more still, but, um, I think we'll have the opportunity to to see them still come out of the gates pretty pretty hot i think they Mm -hmm. were able to have a decent bit more time preparing for the coming season this year so um so hopefully it will be like we said that competitive fight at the front with a a few different teams involved Mm -hmm. um yeah it's not fun to talk about the same driver week after week yeah, it's it gets a little bit boring even if you're rooting for it. It's like you're. I still wanted to see some exciting racing, and so right. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a bit more this coming season. But mm. looking at a past season, like you said at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about doing the uh, classic race review of the 1993 European Grand Prix. 
where uh, Ayrton Senna was uh, the winner of that race at Donington Park. Um, but why don't you lead the people into it um, and kind of start off where you were looking at the race and just um, kind of some of the things you saw. So I just started with the race itself. Like I don't like I don't like Google it. I don't. That's how I do. You know, too. I just I just hit start and I just listen to what they tell me there. That's going to be relevant information for just seeing the race like as it unfolds, right? Not like to 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 like oh see the podium and then be like all right where do these moments happen where like this is like where we get this result, right? I'm just mm-hmm. watching the race to to view it. Interestingly, the first thing I notice is the massive like Sega sponsorships everywhere. Mm. Where like, yeah, Besides I understand that we see Yeah. I understand now that we see like Formula One esports and like it's more like it's pretty common to see like video games. That was just like very like whoa. I didn't think that was uh I didn't think they were a title sponsor, but I thought that was awesome. And they likely handled the franchise products back then if they were like you know if there was formula one 93 it was likely made by sega well there was there was the grand prix game that you could play on atari and also um i think the like old um oh what are they called the like ms pac-man like the big box thing why am i blank blanking on like arcade games i guess yes like the box arcade games with the joystick and everything like that grand prix was one of those kinds of games as well um and so was that developed by sega uh so that may not have been but i think in general just the like development of video games was uh, still like getting bigger maybe um Mm -hmm. and so formula one having that as a like tell us why i it it caught my eye immediately i saw i had a sega genesis back in the day i like played sonic the hedgehog on it it's awesome but Mm -hmm. i did not expect to see that like come right off the bat uh so yeah that was that was just whatever it doesn't really matter that's not about the race but just something that caught my eye so if you're watching this like you're watching this race from the perspective of Ayrton Senna for the most part he really does kind of dominate the race it's mm. a lot about him and Elaine Prost uh going kind of back and forth it's a wet day there at uh this is the European Grand Prix at Donington so a lot of like a lot of really I guess you would say like high speed turns, long straight with the chicane in turn nine, followed by another long straight with the with the hairpin. Um, so like pretty pretty like fast track, interesting track. I don't know what you would say, um, but wet day there at Donington, and I guess like Senna doesn't get off the line very well but ends up making a decent amount of overtakes to put himself up into the first position, ends up getting by, uh, what's the guy's name, Wendlinger, gets by Schumacher, gets by Hill, and gets by Prost, who are both racing for Williams at the time. And according to the cast, 
and I didn't I didn't know this about like the the vehicles at the time. According to the cast, the Williams were the the knockout drag down oh, like yeah. they, heaters of that kind of of that year. They, they were they were the pretty po- quick. They doubled the points of uh second place, which was McLaren. Um they had hundred and sixty eight points to McLaren's eighty four. So right. it like it was not close and there was even conversation. I was after I like I said, I watched the same as you kind of without looking up what happened mm-hmm. um just knowing hey i googled what are some good races to watch and this popped mm-hmm. up um so looking at it um and looking at some different interviews and whatnot it sounded like damon hill and elaine prost were both very vocal about saying that if it's like a normal day out there no one has a shot at beating them Yep. And so this being a rainy day, which um, Ayrton Senna had uh, previously won two weeks ago or two weeks earlier in Brazil in the rain as well, um, they were kind of like, oh, yeah, no, our car is that much better. The only way anyone beats us is if it's a weird day weather wise. And Mm -hmm. it just happened to be. And like you said, uh, Senna dropped back to fifth at the start. And then was able to make four passes in the, I think the first lap still, uh, to yeah, all the way up to first uh, in that opening lap and just kind of knocked it out of the park from there. He, uh, it was wild. Yeah, it was a very stellar performance. We had a couple of drivers uh, taking each other out. We had um, a couple of drivers just going off uh, to not finish the race. But the one thing, the one thing that kind of characterized the race was the amount of was the amount of pit stops, which was an insane uh, seven for the Williams driver Elaine Prost. Uh, going because the rain, because the conditions were so changeable, mm-hmm. they I believe they started on wets, mm-hmm. went to dries. And then the rain started up immediately again. So within like a couple laps, pitting again for wets. And then it was just, you know, this back and forth process. Um, so I think that that characterized a lot of the race with so many pit stops. And then, oh, heartbreak. Aaron Senna gets stopped in the pit lane for like, what was it? Like 11, 12, like 13 seconds something or something. Like yeah. It was like... You know, slow tire coming off. You see him wrenching with it. Yo, and my man, I was like, I was, I think, in love in the moment where he literally, like, flips up his visor, like, does, like, the old turnaround in the car, and then, like, folds his arms. He literally has time to fold his arms before they, like, drop it back down and he's ready to go. I'm like, no way this guy is so mad he is so mad right now and like that was making me physically uncomfortable i was like this guy's head is getting torn off he is uh it's just unbelievable because ayrton senna was an extreme like like the other guys that we're seeing like be kind of some of the best in their sports like they are extreme competitors like yeah he 
had to be so livid. I don't want to know what Brazilian swear words were coming out of his mouth there. Um, but uh, another interesting point talking about like the pit stops was that Ayrton Senna set a fastest lap on the fastest, and I believe it was the fastest lap for the race he set while he was pitting. So he, in 1993, from looking at this and reading up a little afterwards, there was no pit lane speed limit. So because of the way that the pit lane is at that track at Donington Park, you shorten the distance. So because there was no uh, pit lane speed limit, he just flew in there and had the fastest lap by 1.3 seconds on Damon Hill, who had the second fastest in the race because of the shorter distance and not having to slow the fuck down, which is wild. Like we've talked about looking back uh, when we looked back last week um, at the 90, what was that? 96 Spanish Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. um, How, with the cars going off and people hopping out of the cars, some of the safety measures and whatnot were no one had messed up and been like, okay, yeah, this is why we need to put in this rule. So pit pit lane speed limit was not a rule and they were just able to fly in there with all of those engineers. Like I can't even imagine, especially on a rainy day, like they were coming in on there, just flying into the pit lane, like, well, I hope I don't slide when I stop and you're just cruising mm-hmm. in there towards your engineers. That's crazy. Well, and then the pit lanes are much less sectioned off as well. Like, it seems like there was just a lot of trust of the process where, like, you would just kind of hope people were getting out of the way as they were, like, moving stuff up and moving stuff back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of shenanigans going on in, in the pit lane. And for Senna to just say fuck it, I'm taking the short route and literally just like shortcut the race. I think that's uh, that's hilarious and just really heads up. Yeah, well, it makes me Especially think- if there's like no rule against it. Right, and it makes me think of there was, I think, yellow flags in, uh, I, I would have to look back, I think it was maybe Chinese Grand Prix when Seb was driving for Ferrari, so maybe like 20, I don't know, 8, 17, 2018, somewhere in there. Okay. He, um, there's yellow flags out and a bunch of people go into pit before the safety car and everyone's going super slow in the pit lane and Seb just like passes them in the pit lane entry and gets to the pit lane, like speed limiter, right? Like ahead of three or four cars, because he's just like, there's no rule that I can't pass them in the pit lane. They're going too slow. Like I'm like we're still racing under yellow flag conditions. So I'm just going and send yeah. it past them and everything. So it's, it seems kind of like that where he's there. They were just able to be like, I'm going to take any, <laughs> like any advantage I can. I'm going oh, to, yeah. that means flying into the pit lane. That means flying into the pit lane. So, yeah. And looking at the, looking at the course, you do eliminate like a massive, a massive section of it. Um, so yeah, that's just like really heads up. Yeah. So very interesting, um, just point there, but, uh, but yeah, Ayrton Senna ends up 
even with that terrible pit stop winning by a huge margin both the Williams cars coming in right after well not right after um he had Ayrton Senna had lapped every single person except for Damon Hill who Mm -hmm. was only about six seconds off of lapping so um uh, a pretty crazy drive um in the wet weather only 11 drivers or i guess 10 drivers finished um with one of them being like everyone's just crazy amount of laps down like mm. people six laps down four laps down three laps down uh and so uh, just a huge difference in the uh the drives that we saw throughout the the race yeah, it seems like the the changeable conditions and and this is where that hope comes from for the drivers where it's like, yeah, man, anything can happen. Um, it goes it goes kind of off the wall. And surprisingly enough, like the same thing that happened to to Senna happens to Elaine Prost later in the race. He gets held up in the in the pits, ends up giving the advantage back to back to Senna. Cause I think I think that eleven second stop would have been pretty bearing for him but some other timings worked in his favor and his pace was kind of unreal um so yeah he was able to make make those places back and what we ended up finding in the in the research about the race and why you know it just becomes about you know the 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 whole day is senna's is that opening lap was seemed to have been talked about for a decent while like that that's people, that was pretty impressive yeah people still consider it one of the greatest greatest opening laps of all time in terms yep. of an f1 race which i that was I understand that i had I, as like, well yeah to, like it's different i think to see um like you you could say oh well like max had a ridiculous opening lap this year when he started in p14 and made it all the way up to like p8 by the end of the first lap and it's like yeah but his car was better than all the people that he passed pretty much in terms Mm -hmm. of this race like senna had a worse car just drove it way better in the conditions Mm -hmm. that were there and passed a lot of cars that were fast past four cars that were probably faster than his to to get up into first before that it's a huge difference going fifth to first than it is going like 14 to eight so and especially after a slow start like that could just bury you for laps you know absolutely and he he did not let it which is uh pretty pretty incredible um and so a great drive one of the uh i think that was on my list from last week where I was looking at what are the kind of biggest win margins in formula one history that 86 seconds is, is definitely creeping closer towards that, uh, that list of the, the top ones. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty dominant victory there. And, uh, just, uh, yeah, just a great, great race overall. Yeah. Interestingly, one of the casters said at the time, Elaine Prost was considered the greatest, the greatest racer at that time, which I thought that was just like interesting to give like just a snapshot of the day um, where obviously that conversation has changed significantly. Well, and also talking about um, kind of a snapshot of the day that um, it came up where they were talking about the drivers early on in the race and the uh, 
the young Michael Schumacher coming up in and, and driving for the Benetton team and everything. And even though he DNF'd in this race, um, thinking and similarly to like last week's uh, review where they were saying how Michael Schumacher was cementing his legacy with a two, with two world championships and kind of coming in and, and whatnot and saying, oh man, like, now we're going back to when he's just an uh, starting mm-hmm. off and like you he he isn't any anyone yet except for just a, another name out there on the grid um and so it's cool to see that um obviously Ayrton Senna, Elaine Prost, uh Damon Hill, three drivers who are considered to be just greats uh of their their era and of F1's mm-hmm. entirety um so seeing them all together and, and kind of having that, oh, like these are some of the best we've ever seen and now seeing where it's gone from there is, is pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought that was an interesting little like time capsule thing to say. It's like, oh, OK, so this was this was the flavor. Yeah, well, and there's also like even in, in considering it, there's only really two to i'd say maybe four drivers that you can even throw up there and say are as good if not better and so you can throw michael schumacher you can throw lewis hamilton out there you can throw fernando alonso you can throw max verstappen like those are kind of the only people since that time period that uh, I can think of that would really be in consideration to be at that same level that mm-hmm. they were talking about here in this race. And so right. to go from 1993 all the way up through to 2022, and there's only four guys that you can like put on that level in 30 years is, is pretty, pretty insane. Yeah, and even Max may be just like recency bias too. It, well, I was just saying because I think they are the only people who have matched with at least two drivers' championships. Yeah. So that's why yeah, yeah, yeah. I included him more so than necessarily longevity and, and mm-hmm. proving. Even though he's he's been successful, but like the two the two championships, I think if he gets another, then. That definitely solidifies it, especially for folks who are not super keen on his first world championship. Right. So, right. so yeah, I'd say he's kind of the the outlier. Alonzo definitely though is I, I would say yeah. has to be in that consideration. So yeah. Um so even if you say three drivers, Lewis, Alonzo, and, and Schumacher, that's still that's even crazier over thirty years. Right, right. That's one that's one driver every 10 years. Yeah. So kind of, a, Crazy, I, I guess, I don't know what you consider or like what is considered when people say generational talent, but that's kind of what I would imagine is like once every 10 years or so. Cause I think someone who is that, that legend kind of level, I, I don't know if you, yeah, every 10 years might be a reasonable amount of time well, to say. Okay, yeah, because you got to think also the the life of 
fleets in general right. isn't that long so like, it can't to be last like that long you kind of have to be like really damn good <laughs> right that's almost like in the definition right yeah um yeah so yeah about 10 to 12 years you're likely talking that's that's likely a good chunk of time to describe like an era of racing a period of time where there's been ebbs and flows rises and falls from a of a bunch of different storylines and you can really get like a taste and a flavor for what happened yeah probably about 10 to 12 years sounds right to me yeah because it always amuses me when people like how i feel like that term gets thrown out a lot like i've heard people sure it's just call like max no. a generational talent and and leclerc generational talent and uh, lando a generational talent and i'm like they can't all be they're all the same generation and not I, that like to say that multiple multiple people can't overlap and be that but you can't just throw it out for any guy who's like young and good <laughs> like right that, that it it seems like it's become a synonym for that as opposed to like i think the goat the goat talk is like okay there's it's up in the air like it's a conversation who's the best but mm-hmm. um but yeah generational talent i feel like is one that gets thrown thrown around a bit too much yeah and if anything i think that's ah yeah i don't know yeah but um, maybe overused i agree with you yeah the the goat thing's interesting just a a side note because i saw a video the other day and it made me think but um i saw a, a tiktok where this guy someone was asking like what's your unpopular sports opinion and this guy said that uh, there's only like, like Wayne Gretzky is the only person it, that like in any sport that you can 100% say is the goat of their sport where there's no arguments, there's no like controversy, like basketball, everyone's like, oh, is it Michael Jordan? Is it LeBron in baseball people Barry Bonds or Hank Aaron or Babe Ruth like who who's the guy in Formula One Michael Schumacher Lewis Hamilton tennis Mm -hmm. oh Roger Federer Nadal like every sport has one and hockey it's just the answer is Wayne Gretzky like Wayne Gretzky has records in in hockey that the idea of anyone ever surpassing them is just it in most people's brain is like physically impossible and so how many championships does he have so championships uh not i don't think he i don't know if he has the most but his records in terms of because that's probably where that viewpoint doesn't hold up well i but i understand the records thing but every other conversation comes down to yeah but who has more championships with how many different teams so or with like a loyalty bias so i i would say 
it doesn't come up as much in like it does in basketball and like baseball and things like that. But American it, football, it is not like they talk about the Tom Brady rings all the time. Yeah, but I think that in hockey, it, more than some sports, there are players who. So, like, looking at the top winners of Stanley Cups in NHL history, I just pulled it up, and I've been a hockey fan my entire life. I know, like, three of these guys in the top ten. Okay. Like, okay. I had, like... Where's he at in the top ten? He's not in it. But a number of these guys that are in it are just role players who happen to be on dominant teams and were just like, like they could have been a third line guy who just like the team kept while the team was just like crazy dominant, not necessarily right. the, the like all star player or the the best guy out on the ice. Just like they they were. They played their position fine, and they were with a team for a long time that was dominant, or ended up on mm-hmm. a couple teams that win that won a few times. Mm-hmm. Like Wayne Gretzky is not in the top ten, and the the top the top guy won. I lost a, you. Oh, can you? Am I here? I can hear you. Uh, okay. Now you're now you're good. Good. Uh, but the top guy won eleven Stanley Cups, and the the bottom of the top 10 one six. So gotcha. So it like declines pretty quickly. Wayne Gretzky, um, his, his records are just like hard to imagine anyone touching. So like NHL goal record, um, Wayne Gretzky, has 894 goals uh second on the list has 801 third on the list has uh 800 alex ovechkin just scored his 800th goal the other uh yesterday i think so gotcha so those are the top three so that's like within reach for the goal record okay so if you take away if so points in hockey are how many goals and how many assists you have in your career. Right. Right. If you take away so Wayne Gretzky's number 1 in goals, if you take away his goals from his career points, he still trounces second place and third place in points purely from assists. Wow. He has 1,963 career assists. Second place in points total, as opposed mm. to just assists, has 113 less points than Wayne Gretzky mm-hmm. has purely in assists. Mm-hmm. Alex Ovechkin, who is currently the third place um, in goals, could potentially reach that goal record. He would have to have two to three like really good seasons, and he's mm-hmm. getting pretty old. Still not out of reach for goals, but for the points record, he would be 
Um, even if he beats Wayne Gretzky's goal record and takes the top mark there, he still he's currently basically doubled in points total. Gotcha. Okay, so his like in-game production was just insane. Just there is it, it seems physically impossible for gotcha. anyone to meet it. So Wayne Gretzky's career points are two thousand eight hundred fifty-seven. Right. Alex Ovechkin, who's still playing in third, is at 1,444. So almost essentially half. And has played 90% the amount of games that Wayne Gretzky played. Mm. And is only half the, like, production in terms of goals that he had. So, like, it is an astronomical level, which I, I just, like... Yeah, that's a pretty good breakdown of of I had never of thought other of it. things mattering. I and I had never thought of it in that scale because like because I had never I'd always if the question was ever posed of who's the goat of hockey, you just say Wayne Gretzky. Like that's it just is what it is. There are mm-hmm. plenty of great names out there, but and legends, but he is like the guy. And when you talk about any other sport, there's always this conversation. And like looking from 1993 constructors and this this race at the European Grand Prix all the way up mm-hmm. to now, like even from then, there's two guys that easily surpass these guys. Right. Which is, which is but just, there's only one guy who's even coming close and it's like not even close exactly right i understand so it's uh it's cool looking and kind of comparing sports it it made me uh like thinking about that and comparing to f1 and our um like goats that we're looking at and everything made me feel a little like thorin for a hot second where i'm like oh i'm referencing other sports while i'm talking about this other thing that i there you go uh, man (laughs) this other competition that i we learned from the best so yeah thorin (laughs) i'm glad to not have his toxicity and just his uh his affinity for comparison so Mm mm-hmm uh i don't know if he's toxic i think he just says the thing that we're all thinking uh no not toxic he he is just he's not tactful (laughs) he he oh sure he doesn't care about uh about anyone's feelings when he's uh when he's putting his opinions out there and he he always has strong reasoning for his opinions so i'm not like knocking him for that but he is he's definitely not a tactful man no he does make well-reasoned arguments though and it's Um, entertaining yeah yeah that's for damn sure but uh but i think that's kind of all the the notes that i had relating to uh the 1993 european grand prix review um but hopefully i think uh we still have a little bit of time this off season so i would expect a couple more of these probably as we're getting uh leading up into the 2023 f1 season 
Yeah, a little bit of context from where we were to uh, better inform where we are and where we're going. Um, looking ahead into the 2023 season. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, just kind of our take on the 1993 European Grand Prix at Donington Park. Um, yeah, I thought it was a great race. That first lap from Senna was uh, pretty pretty amazing. Um, before, before we talked about, about the race, we were talking about some off-season stuff. Uh, there was... There's a long list of names that are moving and shaking between regions, between teams, but there was one that stood out to me more than anything. What do you think about the mid laner for RNG Xiaohu leaving and going to Weibo Gaming? Ugh. That, I think, is... I mean, exciting for Weibo Gaming. Um, just looking at the LPL, um, Weibo was one of the teams that had some very good success uh, this past year. They were in the top, uh, just pulling it up, they were in the top six um, going into LPL playoffs at the end of um, summer. And they also have some really really good um players on the team uh mm -hmm. so right now only three confirmed but they have uh Xiaohu, the shy and angel uh mm -hmm. angel being their their secondary mid laner but if they keep some of the the players that they've had or bring uh some new players in i think just Xiaohu and the Shy are two extremely solid pieces of the puzzle to, to build around. Um, and so I, I think that is a great move for Weibo Gaming. I don't know if it will... Um, I guess we'll have to see how much it, it hurts uh, RNG because Xiaohu has been a big component of their team for years now between his time in the mid lane and in the top lane. So yeah. that's, that's definitely gonna hurt. I mean, they still with, um, with breathe way gala and Ming, um, are still a strong team, but it's definitely going to be a hard replacement for that mid lane. Yeah. And one has not been found at least as, as of recording, one has not been found yet, and yet that sounds like the type of roster move that means RNG is going to be trying to build just a new system. Because um, I know, based on their drafts, RNG played heavily around Xiaohu. Xiaohu was a big mm -hmm. part of their shot calling and just about how they moved on the map. Yeah. A lot of Galio, a lot of champions that could influence the side Full lanes Sandra, and could help out. Twisted yep. Fate, like yep. loving those those opportunities to to play the supportive mid laner. So and I, help out Wei, who is jungling very aggressively. Yeah, I think that um, I or I don't think that there are a ton of people who could just step in immediately and and fill that spot. Right. Well, that's that's why it seems like they're going to be looking to maybe build a system around another player. Maybe they'll look to, you know, 
be more bot lane focused or you know top side focus or whatever it is um but yeah that that's just a tough one and in the like i said in the list of names that's moving um that one really stood out i was like eesh weeboo or weeboo gaming is definitely making out uh in that one where uh, i don't see a good slot in for rng currently yeah, I I think the only person that I could think of um, that might fit into that would be um, if they would be or if they were able to get Doonby, um somehow. Yeah. I think since he, I believe, is currently not re-signed, but he he hasn't signed anywhere yet. I think his contract just ran out. Um, he's the, the most similar in terms of like the, the roaming capacity, the, uh, supportive mid laner and that kind of position that could fill. So I, I agree. I think that's going to kind of either force them to slot someone in who's maybe a lesser version of, uh, of Xiaohu or if they can get doing be maybe a, a side trade or, have to retool kind of their their game plan and strategy mm-hmm. which could be um very very difficult that's that's yeah. a hard thing to do especially especially from a team that you know they win msi correct mm-hmm. last year get pretty um not the results they would have wanted at worlds in the follow-up and then uh yeah looking to make some big changes it seems so that's just like an interesting one and jahu has been there with the team since summer 2015 so Mm -hmm. he was there with them for what is that that's seven and a half seasons which is just uh pretty that's 14 splits that is it's uh, multiple demacia cups a lot of time um and so rng is gonna have to to make some shifts i mean ming has been there with them for uh quite some time since spring 2017 so he's been there and can hopefully be kind of their their rock to Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to continue to lead and of course coming from the uh the support role that definitely does help in terms of the um like kind of team leading but Mm -hmm. it's it's going to be a a difficult change i would imagine um and way gala and ming all of their contracts are also um i guess have not been renewed yet Mm -hmm. so there's still um could be some other rebuilding that ends up happening yeah exactly um so yeah just a lot of interesting elements to this one uh but that's that was all i i wanted to say with that other than that i just have a couple of little magic notes that the more i'm thinking about it it's probably more of a therapy note than a magic note but you know if you want to hear about it hey let's hit let's hit it let's uh let's hear about it spill uh, talk talk out your feelings justin I will do my best here. I will do my best without making any of the involved parties feel bad. Um, We had three games on Monday, and Connor uh, Connor brought his 
fresh new commander deck, uh, mono green list. Uh, he was playing a commander called Baru the Worm Speaker. Um, so it gives all worms plus two, plus two, and trample. And then with an activated ability, he can like make worms and put them onto the battlefield. So just like massive creatures, just trying to beat face and just like take your take your health total down very quickly. Um, so we got to see three games on that from Connor and. It was interesting because obviously, like he just he he becomes more and more familiar with it. Gets to see the card choices that he's made and like how they actually interact in the game. Um, so I think getting three games in in you know in a night that gives you a lot of data. He was already talking about like possible swaps, maybe needing more of this, less of that. Um, so that was all very interesting. There's a worm from a set called Battle Bond, which is like a couple years old at this point. There's a there's a card in there called Grothama, the All Devouring, and it offers this like little mini game that you can do in combat, and it is genuinely confusing, like genuinely confusing and hard to know how to best take advantage of it, especially when it's something that's triggering like every combat. Like it happens, like you have the opportunity to interact with it like every turn cycle. That so sounds fucking rough. Cause I, I know you've talked about different, um, different cards that are played that you've had to be like okay so we had to stop and kind of like work through the each individual interaction and see how they prioritized and whatnot to get through it and it but that's like a one play kind of thing not like Mm -hmm. every turn kind of thing and it wasn't like it, it, it wasn't like intricate interactions it was just kind of all of us not really either being able to explain it to Connor or maybe we didn't understand how the triggers worked like ourselves that well, but it ended up being this thing that kept coming up during the combat step. And we were at a point in one of the games where we were either going to play with like, takesy backsies or we weren't and we don't really do that to a certain degree like even with connor as a new player Mm. we're just kind of hoping like we can explain things the best we can but overall like we want to keep the board state moving forward we got to a point where i engage with the grothama this this worm side quest creature thing i engage with it in a way where I got all the advantage and he was going to get none. And Connor was like, wait, 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 can I? And I was like, no, dude, we've explained this. Can we just get on with it? Mm. And that's, that was my mistake. I, I, I reacted instead of like taking time to then like respond. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I like, it's, not the easy i like i i don't know i i feel for you like and think yeah like 
you're saying you responded wrong, like you out of instinct, because I do that a lot, so I can relate. That's like something I've had to work on for a long time is like mm-hmm. immediately reacting to things. Um, and so it's very tough when you're also kind of like, like I would imagine it's frustrating, like this thing, like constantly making you guys go through this thing, but also like you only have, and you've talked about it, a finite time that you're usually able to play. And like ever someone has the cutoff of like X amount of time and you want to get as much play in as you can. So like between that and this slowing the process down along with the probable frustration of like this is a really annoying thing to have to figure out again and again and again like Mm -hmm. i can understand why that was like a bit tedious and got a reaction that's like a good word for it but like actually and i'm gaining this in the moment is what i'm actually learning is i'm probably just not that good like around new players especially in a game that like i am competitively invested in i'm thinking about like playing optimally and information and like uh like making sure all the triggers go off and Mm. are things interacting right where i i think i'm so like rules and just game minded where i'm i'm coming from a perspective of like i i want to play and i want to win um so yeah i think what i'm learning is i may just not be that good for like the new player experience in like trying to help him learn because what he really needs there is someone like to help him like play the cards right yeah um, not like, like yell at him talk to him on the side and be like yeah like okay yeah. like let me look at okay you've got this option this option like oh this is your your best thing yeah. um but that's also like that's part of part of the learning process for a new person like i don't know it i don't i understand why you would feel like you're maybe a little too harsh, but at the same time, um, I think you've also shown in other circumstances that you guys have brought new players in and been able to be like, okay, we're just setting the competitive level a little differently and you've adjusted. It doesn't like, it didn't ever sound like you were not capable of working with new people coming in. It sounds like it was a frustrating card Hmm to deal with in the situation and it it just was like maybe the expectation you had coming in based on previous like games with him maybe set your expectation a little higher and then this circumstance is kind of one of those weird ones where it's like well everyone was having to think about this so a new guy is definitely gonna like have to think about right this. and he had right you've played with connor before so it's like mm-hmm. you've and not just in magic as well yeah so you've seen that he has uh like a certain level and this one maybe was just like a, a, not where the level you've seen before because of this right. weird thing so i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily reflect on it as like you can't handle because when like brett came in or like anyone else that you've added to the pod and and had kind of join they were playing with very basic decks and not knowing what 
it was when I, you mm-hmm. taught me how to play and like cards and how they work and everything. I like, yeah, this is true. So, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily knock it on that. It just sounds like it was a, a frustrating kind of scenario to, especially to keep re- revisiting like turn after mm-hmm. turn. So definitely will, uh, you know, take it in stride here. I think you've, uh, kind of, yeah. help me parse through it a little bit but yeah it was exactly. uh like you, know, you said this is therapy man <laughs> yeah 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 um so I, that was an interesting moment hope i didn't uh ho- hope i didn't sour connor from the from the big worms but then in game three boy i was like i was chapped but quickly quickly reined it in and realized like we all we all make mistakes this literally could have been any of us let's uh, whatever we'll we'll keep it moving in game three i had i had a i don't want to say commanding board state because i wasn't winning but i had a board state that could win and i made a play on one of the turns that would have taken ian out he interacted kept himself alive kept the game moving i attempted it again on the following turn he he wanted to make the same he wanted to make the same interaction realized he couldn't do it at instant speed so he would have been dead the previous turn oh like changing the whole landscape so you like instead of wasting another turn attacking him could have like turned that on someone else or and not just me jason would have had access to different decisions and connor would have had access to different decisions Mm. like just the whole gamescape changes right yeah and so we realized that i immediately like i immediately was like wait you can't do that and then i was like wait so that means and then he was like oh fuck and i i was i pretty much just like threw my cards down i was like yeah well fuck this like that's lame and it like it obviously scuffs the results of the game i even like called out jay like jason like was going to play out his turn i was like why are you playing out your turn like the game's over like ian fucked it all for us uh. <laughs> and <laughs> we like we were all kind of in a sense of like we all wanted the game to end like properly like these were all great fun games like that was that was the main thing it was like a very competitive game and it just you know it it all goes out the window things fucked like yeah you can't unfuck it (laughs) and like the the particular flavor of from me was well, I thought I was going to win. So I thought, like, it was a direct, like, oh, no, I could have like, won. You, right? you were would have been on an even better track to win. Then. Yeah. And, like, but that was, that was what I quickly dispensed with. I was like, that doesn't matter. That's not what I should care about. And so I, I guess the, the light here is I was just quickly able to get out of the, like, kind of fuck this mentality and was just able to be like all right that was just a fun game whatever it it could be any of us because i just started thinking of like all the times i've made mistakes and like yeah whatever it's just a game um so yeah very quickly it was just back to the back to the ggs and you know whatever now we know for next time um but yeah dude i was so fucking close to winning that game i was pissed i was like god damn it god damn it 
Oh yeah, and like, because it changes so much, because my initial thought was like, ah, everyone just picks up the cards that they played for it. But then I'm like, but then everyone knows what cards everyone has, and then... Well, and it's not just that, it's like damage and triggers, and like, this gets sent that way, this gets sent that way. Oh wait, no, it wouldn't have happened like that. Like, it's so many things. You have to rewind a lot, and yeah, yeah, so... I, I, my initial thought was like, ah, and then I was like, no, yeah, you, you just can't. So you either pretty, play uh, with it like gone. as is, or you're just like, ah, it's fucked. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. at least Corvold doesn't get another W for Jason. Um, you know, if, if, if I don't win, that means they didn't win either. So that's okay. Their numbers don't go up. I can live with that. Uh, go. but yeah. That was just my magic games here for the week. Just excited oh. to talk about them a little bit because I think that was pretty interesting. Definitely. But other than that, good sir, just give me your uh, give me your flavor of the week here. And we can get these people out of here. Sounds good. So for my food this week, uh, twice this week now, I have made some homemade spicy chicken sandwiches and Ooh. some truffle fries uh, in the air fryer. So I've been doing uh, uh, some seasoning on the chicken with the flour the i do egg mixed with uh like whipping cream and some hot sauce for the like inside layer and then some breadcrumbs and and crushed red pepper on the outside so uh, oh yeah that was really good we we enjoy doing truffle fries too with the uh the i had gotten colleen truffle oil last year for christmas and so we're using it less sparingly we've made it last like a whole year and i'm like why did i not use this as much like we still have plenty of it like it's fine Mm -hmm. um but it's uh it's a nice little treat uh to have with that and everything so that is uh since we did it a couple times and it was pretty good i i got better the second time um so that was my my food for this week my music, it is it is now the Christmas season a bit more for me. So um, we have the Christmas music going on at work on the the kind of background music playlist in the the office and the lobby and everything. But my um, Colleen and I have our non traditional music Christmas music playlist that has like DMX and Snoop Dogg and like. Uh, a bunch of just kind of more obscure Christmas songs or ones that we find funny. Um, Justin Bieber mistletoe is hilarious because shoddy with you is a line that will just never age well for the Christmas music genre. Um, and I find it absolutely hilarious. So, (laughs) so I love our, our non-traditional Christmas music playlist because I, I get bored of the same old songs that you hear on the, like the songs that I hear on my Pandora mix that we play at work every day. It's the same Christmas music all the time. It'll be the same next year. So Mm -hmm. I, uh, I enjoy our non-traditional music playlist and have uh, messed around with it a little bit. Um, and then for my visual medium, the conclusion to White Lotus uh, season two just happened this past week. Um, it is Whoa. the show that I had uh, I talked about previously for the first season that uh, was about 
the hotel in Hawaii and I could relate to all the people who were working and like how much the clients and and guests were assholes and it was difficult and whatnot. This one, a little different. It's in Italy, so you're seeing it at an international hotel, which I is definitely different from a hotel in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but the storyline continues. There is uh, there's a couple of characters that carry over, um, but it is a very fun show. They kind of lead you into the season um, with a little clip basically saying that there are there are three people found dead at the beach at this resort and then it flashes back to the beginning of the week and you're kind of watching and guessing the entire time about which characters who what happens to yada 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 um and they they do a very compelling job of creating characters and building their uh, their character arcs throughout the season and kind of um, making you love or hate them kind of as the season goes on very well. Uh, so mm. their character development is very good. Um, the show, it, it takes a while to kind of piece together all the, the puzzle. And so that is uh, was, was really enjoyable. It's on HBO. So definitely worth uh checking out so white lotus season two is my visual medium and those are my flavor of the week very cool that's um yeah i've i've heard some pretty good things about white lotus that may be uh that may be one to check out that's interesting yeah i would definitely recommend it but what uh have you been watching and listening to eating what has sarah made for you this week that is oh. just top notch of course, yeah. She uh she feeds me well. She made uh some ham and bean soup. We got a we got a big old bone uh from her family. Um so we let that just stew all day and we get some nice, nice ham and bean soup. Love it is it. super tasty. So we've been munching on that, which has been very that good. Bone broth has to be banging. Exactly. That's that's what it is. Um my visual medium here, and not to be like contrarian or anything, but um Sarah's been watching it. I believe she's watched some of it previously. Um, so I'm catching it like in decent sized chunks. Um, Game of Thrones. I okay. don't get it. Which uh, is she watching the new show or the original show? The original show starting okay. in season one. So I'm seeing like developing moments and characters and stuff. Like I don't. It's a tough, I will say it's a tough show. I don't think you're being contrarian. I think it's a tough show to only catch bits and pieces of because there Mm -hmm. are like 10 different storylines that are going on and you don't get every single one of them every week. So Mm -hmm. it can be tough to like see the progression of stories when there's like that many ones that you're splitting attention and you're only catching bits and pieces if that makes sense gotcha yeah and uh that makes sense i have to say some of the acting isn't as strong as i may have believed with how like how sold the show is some of the acting is like kind of meh um just it gets better i will say fair enough fair enough I guess overall, I it just isn't 
what I would have imagined it to be. And then even more, I'm like, I don't know. I, I think I would have to be previously invested in this storyline in some way for me to like whatever um so yeah just an odd one go ahead uh well no i like i i can understand that uh, a bit because uh I'll, i'll give a little shout out to shane right here um my buddy tried to watch for like one to two full seasons and still didn't know anyone's name because there were so many characters and just had nicknames for all of them because he couldn't Mm -hmm. remember their names so like it's (laughs) it can be tough early on especially like it is i would say like it's relatable to like i guess any other like huge universe type thing like if you just jump into the first avengers movie or something and you're seeing all these different superheroes and you're just like whoa where did all these people come from like with no or with very little backstory it's it takes a little time to kind of uh figure it out and keep it like straight in your head a little bit Mm -hmm. it is funny just um coming in from unemployment and just like seeing seeing boobs on the television that's that's really funny um but yeah game of (laughs) thrones i don't get it maybe i'll figure it out um but then my music here for the week uh, i've been thinking about the album the mollusk from ween have you ever heard this album i have not it's kooky. I can't sell. I can't oversell it. I can't say it's good. I'm not gonna say anything. But it the is an album. by Ween. Yeah, it's it's something. I've put a lot of listens into it actually, and quite thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, one of the title track, not title tracks, but one of the more popular tracks on it. It's called Ocean Man. Uh, you may actually know it, but everything else is kind of kooky blarney stone is a standout of mine um and waving my dick in the wind um just a great album and for whatever reason i've been thinking about it this week and some of those some of those songs have been rattling around in my head so okay. if you're feeling adventurous go check it out and honestly i think you might like it I'm willing to give it a shot. I I don't uh, don't typically turn th- uh, turn things down without trying them. So mm-hmm. uh, I I may just give that a listen to and uh, and have an update on whether I like it or not. Um, I'd be very interested in that. But it sounds like a, a just name and artists I've never heard of sounds like a interesting combination how old is this album maybe 2007 okay so this is this is uh this one has aged a little bit uh it's, yeah it's like uh it's like a fine wine now right yes yes it, <laughs> it really only has gotten better um Oh no, ninety-seven. So oh even God. older. <laughs> so it's getting getting close to my age. So that's good. Good things. It's um, the it's a multi-genre concept album with a dark nautical theme. Interesting. I will, from ninety-seven. Uh, I will have to give it a shot. Um, but it, it sounds like that does wrap up the flavor of the week. So. That. That brings mm-hmm. us to the end of this week's episode as well. I do have uh, a 
just I, I completely whiffed on telling you these things at the beginning. So I briefly just wanted to uh, say um, my my nephew is here. He was born last week, which is cool. So I'm now uh, officially an uncle by blood um, and and have my little baby nephew. I got to meet him nice. on Saturday, which was congratulations, uh, which was neat. Um I, Wait, was, so that's from your brother Nate? No, from my uh, my sister. So, okay. Uh, so it was it, it was interesting. Like, um, my sister's fiance. Like, I came by, was like wanted to to see them, meet the baby, and all. And he like scooped the baby up and was like, "Here!" And I'm like, "Oh my god, that is very aggressive for." Uh, passing over this tiny, tiny baby that was born a day before. I was like, you are, you are like handing this off like a football, not like a baby. And I'm mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, oh my God. But it, uh, oh, at least you I, were prepared. I, I didn't know. I didn't feel it when he initially handed it off, but I, I held, held the baby, didn't drop it. Um, so it will hopefully be better off than I was. Um, <laughs> No, <laughs> uh, but that was uh, a cool thing for this week. And I also forgot, uh, I also got to go to the Eagles game, which was my first ah. NFL game. Um, it was a very cold, rainy one up in uh, the Meadowlands outside of New York. But uh, just two cool highlights I wanted to make sure I, I shouted out. Um, so. Yeah, highlights indeed. That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, a fun week and, um, of course, a fun episode for this week as well. So, as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at tall and short of one, the number one. Um, Always happy to hear what's going on with people's flavor of the week, what your rose, thorn, and seed are, but... Of course, thank you for listening and taking the time. Yeah, just tell your friends. New episodes every Thursday, obviously. Uh, But this has been another tall and short of a podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Peace out, everyone. Later.